Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear, page by page. This is page 440. Beg pardon? I asked. Our Stapes is old-fashioned, Alvern explained with a smile, and more educated than he cares to admit. Calanthus is the elvintic name for them. I could swear I've heard that word somewhere else. It's also the surname of the royal line of Vintus, Alvaron said chidingly. For someone who knows so much, you're curiously blind in places. Stapes craned his neck to look toward the cage again. I know you had to do it, he said. But why not use mice or Contest Affair's nasty little dog? Before I could answer, there was a thump from the outer rooms, and a guard burst through the inner door before Stapes could come to his feet. Your Grace, the man said breathlessly as he jumped to the room's only window and slammed the shutters. Next, he ran to the sitting room and did the same with the window in there. There followed other, similar noises from rooms farther back I had never seen. There was a faint sound of furniture being moved. Stapes looked puzzled and half rose to his feet, but the mayor shook his head and motioned for him to sit down. Lieutenant, he called out, a tinge of irritation in his voice. Beg pardon, your grace, the guard said as he re-entered the room, breathing heavily. Dagon's orders. I was to secure your room straight away. I take it all is not well, Alvarin said dryly. There was no answer from the tower when we knocked. Dagon had us force the door. There was... I know not what it was, your grace. Some malignant spirit. Anders is dead, your grace. Cordicus is nowhere in his rooms, but Dagon is after him. Alvarin's expression darkened. Damn! He thundered, striking the arm of his chair with a fist. His brow furrowed, and he let out an explosive sigh. <sighs> Very well. He waved the guard away. The guard stood stiffly. Sir, Dagon said I'm not to leave you unguarded. Alvarin gave him a dangerous look. Very well, but stand over there. He pointed to the corner of the room. The guard appeared perfectly happy to fade into the background. Alvaron leaned forward, pressing the tips of his fingers to his forehead. How in the name of God did he suspect? The question seemed rhetorical, but it set the wheels of my mind spinning. Did your grace pick up his medicine yesterday? Yes, yes, I did everything the same as I had done in days past. Except you didn't send me to get your medicine, I thought to myself. Do you still have the vial? I asked. That's the page. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jordana. I'm Nick. Okay, so we figured out the Calanthus thing. Also, just I have some fun facts related to hummingbirds and the word Calanthus, if, if you'll indulge me. I, I will indulge you. Lovely. Okay, so I did a brief Google and can't find really any solid connection real world-wise between hummingbirds and the word calanthus, but calanthe is a real plant. Or calanthe? I don't, I don't know. It's, it's like the word calanthus, but instead of an is, it's an e on the end. And so that's an orchid, so there's a real thing that sounds like that word that a hummingbird might feed on. I don't know if that's a thread to pull or not. And also, if the king has a last name that's related to what are essentially hummingbirds in this world, I think it's sort of a cool thing to consider that, like, we know the mayor is sort of planning something that is maybe warish related. We know that him and Dagon were doing something with the maps. Um, and although he's not part of the same family, I assume he's loosely related to it. And uh, there's a hummingbird 
god in like the Aztec pantheon that is the god of war and sun. So that's kind of a cool idea. Mm-hmm. Quetzalcoatli. Exactly. Yeah, that one. See, you knew what I was going for. Mm-hmm. You definitely pronounced it better than I could possibly have. Jeremy, how many Aztec gods can you name at a glance, like without looking them up? Because I, I, that was pretty remarkable. The only two I can name, like off the top of my head, I think are probably Quetzalcoatl and Quetzalcoatl. I was going to say Quetzalcoatl is one I can do, but I, I definitely have not memorized the pronunciation for many of those things as much as mm-hmm. that would be really cool. But the only reason that I know the name Huitzilopochtli is because K.A. Applegate, author of the Animorphs series, had another like YA uh, series of novels targeted at a slightly older audience of kids that was much darker than Animorphs, which is already pretty dark and did not last nearly as long. And the premise of it was that a group of teenagers, every time they fall asleep in our world, they wake up in the everywhere the series was called everywhere which is a world where all the gods of myth kind of fled our universe and they took their followers with them and they set up their own like pocket dimension where they all exist side by side and so the kids have adventures um you know with the greek gods the viking gods and the aztec gods and there's the the first book of that series that i read involves them in having an encounter with quetzalcoatl and his you know his followers who are like cutting people's hearts out uh, you know, at the top of a pyramid because he's an Aztec god and that's their whole deal. And he was like specifically the patron god of like war and sacrifice. Well, there you go. If you read things, you learn things. That's right. So let's read some things. And if you listen to this podcast, you learn things. And we learn things. We learn things about each other. Everyone learns things. And the things that it's our true. listeners send us. It's also foreshadowing, I think. We know that the king dies, or a king dies. Uh, so poisoning fragile little birds that share a name with the king. It's got to be some kind of thematic uh, significance. Yes, yeah, that follows. It's interesting, the details that we get about what goes wrong when they try to arrest Codicus. Because Codicus is gone when they show up, but there's some kind of evil spirit there instead. That sounds like Chandranoid-related activity to me. But it could also just be that these these yokels are like misinterpreting. You know, he like, he like threw a smoke bomb and like, ah, it's a ghost! Yeah, that's how I read it. I read it as yeah, exactly. them misinterpreting something like... That's just part of like arcane usage. And, and that's yeah, how- well, it could be symmetry. It could be that he actually like did a spell symmetry, not symmetry, sympathy. Uh, it could be that he actually did a spell. And we know how people react to sympathy if they're not arcanists. Although I'm inclined to think that it's a mundane trap or like you said, a smoke bomb. We know how people react when Quoth does, you know, chemistry or uh even on the next page, he he takes a simple remedy for uh, for poison, and it looks like magic to the mayor and to Stapes. So I think it's likely that uh, Codicus set a trap, did something, maybe he even just like set up a you know a crossbow to fire when they pulled a tripwire, uh, and they said it was some kind of spirit because they didn't understand the cause and effect. Now, I agree with everything you've just said, but I do want to say that. We have been primed to understand the vintage culture as like kind of backwards and superstitious and like not really understanding the difference between like chemistry and sympathy and like magic, right? So 
that's like what we're primed to think. That's what we would be. That's what we would be expecting of a vintage character. Like, oh, they're going to see some perfectly normal thing and think it's magic. But what if that's what Rothfuss wants us to assume that the, like much as Quoth does, because Quoth doesn't question this guy's account, like these superstitious rooms just probably thought that it was a ghost. But what if it actually was a ghost and no one believes <laughs> them? saying but- he actually did summon a vengeful spirit. There actually was like a monster in there. I mean, if Codicus is a Chandria, we know that they can disappear. Actually, that's like the only thing we know for sure that they can do. Yeah. Like what if Haliac spirits him away? <laughs> yeah. You know what? That's that's possible. Anything's possible, really. That's right. Again, it's kind of demonstrating the mayor's changeable mood because he's in really he's in really good spirits until he finds out that the guy who tried to murder him, as far as he knows, is has flown the coop. And then we fu- we we see him express his anger, and then he gets himself under control. But I feel like he has been seething with that rage this whole time, right? He's like, I can't wait to cut off that bastard's thumbs. He tried to kill me. I'm going to do such terrible things to him. And now he's been denied that chance. Yeah, I think it has to do with being in control. I think he's calm and polite when he is in control, which is most of the time. And for this brief instant, he realizes that his control is not uh, is not absolute. You know, despite his orders, which is really all he can do, he was not in control of the situation. I completely agree. All right. But to preclude anybody writing in in the meantime, on the next page, we do account for why Codicus might know. We start to talk about why Codicus might have known that uh, something was amiss and to fly the coop. Uh, so please don't write in and tell us. Today's letter is from Bill, who writes, Thanks to Jeremy. Hello, readers. I'm writing to thank Jeremy for two things in particular. Number one, thank you for suggesting the Cerebro podcast. I was always interested in comic-adjacent things, but never knew where to start actually reading the X-Men books. Listening to people geek hard about it gave me lots of ideas for jumping off points, and I've been binging the podcast for the last month. Now I'm reading through the Claremont and Hickman runs, and they are filling the Kingkiller Book 3-sized hole in my life. Two, because I've been listening to Cerebro so much lately, I've now got a backlog of Page of the Wind episodes. Thank you again, Jeremy, for inadvertently getting me into a situation where I can binge listen to Page of the Wind. It's a joy that I haven't known since I caught up back in the first 100 episodes. Thanks again for all the hard work the three of you put into recording the podcast. I love it, and I am looking forward to all of the pages in front of you. All that's good. Signed, Bill. Why, Bill, that's such a delight to hear. I am I feel so vindicated that I've introduced at least one other person to both Cerebro and the X-Men. I also, inspired by Cerebro, have gone back and recently read through 12 volumes of the like X-Men Masterworks series that reprints uh, Chris Claremont's run that starts in 1975. And volume 12 takes us up to roughly like 1985, 1986. So I've read like a decade's worth of X-Men comics in the last couple of weeks. And uh, folks, they slap. They're really good. They're surprisingly complex for comics that were printed in the late 70s and early 80s. Strong recommend. Strong recommend Chris Claremont's X-Men stuff. Great. Yep. Uh, Another thing you can learn listening to our podcast is other podcasts to listen to. That's right. Which is fine. Share the love. That's right. We're a beautiful, supportive podcast community. And uh, we'll continue to support and uplift other podcasts on tomorrow's page. Of the Wind. wind.